Hello and welcome to The Bridge. Uh, today my co-host Zach are going to be discussing a British soul singer named Celeste. Uh, before we get to that, uh, what are you drinking this morning, Zach? Uh, just finished my first coffee. I think I maybe uh, made it too strong because, uh, yeah, I've got uh, some heart palpitations happening and so now I'm <laughs> drinking water. Very good. I'm, uh, I'm working on the, on the Americano. I ran in milk, so no latte today. That's it. The Americana is a little healthier version, I bet, anyway. So this album, what uh, what can you tell me about Celeste? Okay, so this album is, like you said, uh, by singer-songwriter, soul musician uh, Celeste. It's her debut record called Not Your Muse. She's originally born in the United States, but uh, when she was young, returned to her mother's native UK and is now based in London. She's, uh, however, she's also got a Jamaican background. Her father was Jamaican. And yeah, so. Uh, I think she, just to note there, um, the reason she moved back to England from my understanding is her parents uh, separated. Um, so she, was, she went and lived with her mother. And I think that's important for context later on with the album and how uh, her father lived in America. Uh, from my understanding, maybe Jamaica, away from her. And so her relationship with her father is uh, a topic of discussion on this album. So it's, I think it's curious, or at least interesting to note that she spent her life living with her mother, but we'll get more to that later. Yeah, and uh, just to add another detail, her father died of lung cancer, I think, when he was 49. So she's got a complicated relationship with her father that, uh, like you said, shows up on the record, which we'll get to. However, she grew up on a healthy diet of American jazz and blues. And so on this record, you can hear influences of Billie Holiday, uh, Aretha Franklin, Nina Simone, these sort of early pioneers of jazz musicians or jazz singers that sort of made the step into the mainstream and into uh, into. I wouldn't call it pop music, but uh, pop popular music at that time. And so there are certain songs on this record that are far more pop influenced, I would say, or something that you can Im immediately imagine as uh, hearing on top 40 radio songs like Tonight Tonight, Stop This Flame, Love Is Back. Mm -hmm. But as the album progresses, and we should also mention it's a double album. And so yeah, we'll it runs at. Yeah, so it runs at about an hour and 20 minutes. I think it's an hour and 18 to be exact. Hey, little note here. Just wanted to jump here and say that we review the deluxe version of the album. Uh, even though at the end we will be giving reviews uh, from the standard edition versus deluxe edition. And the deluxe edition uh, it comes up as a bit of a conversation piece as we go. And I just want to note that we did uh, that there is a standard edition available. Uh, and we will talk about that as well. But as the album progresses, it sort of sheds this skin of uh, of popular music, of mainstream music, and really dives deep into uh, yeah, Celeste's jazz and rhythm and blues influences. There's definitely a lot of that. This uh, this is actually a pretty hyped album, I would say. Uh, there's been a lot of expectations. She's uh, just mm -hmm. breaking out. Like I said, this is her debut album. She's had singles released. She's had uh, EPs, you know, there's a, a plethora of those, but this is our first uh, release uh, in terms of the album. Um, I know she won an award at the BBC for Most Promising Up-and-Comer. Um, so there's a lot of eyeballs on this album. Yeah, that's right. And um, like you said, she's had, she released an EP in the past. In 2019, she released an EP called uh, Compilation 1.1. And then other songs have trickled out as just uh, single releases. And uh, all, all or most, most of them feature on this album. However, there are a bunch of new releases as well. Yeah, so, there's uh, some uh, movie tie-in songs, I believe, uh, as well. There's, there's, uh, she's been kind of like busy. She's been prolific, even though she's new um, in terms of you know, getting in there and getting her feet wet and working with producers and, and getting her name out there and, and her voice out there. And, 
Yeah, she sticks a lot of those uh, on the B-side of the deluxe album. Yeah, so I think this is her debut album. It's ambitious. It's double LP. Um, and at the same time, some of the songs that she released have have become so popular that I think for people who are er- early on the Celeste train who are aware of her and like her music, they would feel a little bit... Uh, they would feel a little bit slighted if these really popular songs that she's become famous for that's shined the limelight in her direction uh, didn't feature on the album. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, fact that this is a deluxe album. Um, mm-hmm. There's a double LP. There's two sides to it. Um, you mentioned the EP that she uh, released. Most of if not all of those tracks are on this album, uh, I think on the second half mostly. How do you feel about deluxe albums? Uh, like, how do you approach them? Well, even even the best deluxe albums, like double LP, they're um, they require a lot from the listener, mm-hmm. and it, it's asking a lot, you know, because it's asking you, okay, here's an hour and twenty minutes, an hour and a half of music. You know, this, you're giving up an hour and a half of your time, and so you want it to, you want it to be worth your while. Um, right. It's hard for I think a, a, an album to grab a listener's attention for that long. Yeah, and so, like I said, she's uh, this release comes in a in a peculiar position because she's already garnered some fame. From fame, from writing and releasing famous songs, and so I can certainly understand wanting to put them on the record. And I like those songs. Yeah. Right. I think those and, songs, uh, those singles that she's released are actually, on the most part, uh, the highlights of the album. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a hard balance. What do you, what do you say? I mean, uh, the other the other thing is this: with albums that are this ambitious there's always something to go back to, you know? There's always something to rediscover in, in the records. Right. But, it's a, there's a lot of uh, new content or uh, songs that pop out to you later on uh, after some uh, follow-up listens. Mm-hmm. And um, also there's, a I think, maybe a tendency for double albums or deluxe LPs they become sort of these sprawling records that lose coherence. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that happens here. I think uh, the pace of the album is very deliberate. A lot of the popular tracks, like um, the ones that I listed, for instance, Tonight Tonight, Stop This Flame, Tell Me Something I Don't Know, and her most popular song, probably, Strange, all mm-hmm. occur and are all songs that occur like within the first six or seven tracks on the album right a lot of the deeper cuts come far later and like i said it sort of begins to shed the jazz pop skin and gets into more deeper jazz r&b cuts and really she starts she starts to showcase in my opinion her um her chops as a as a soul singer what's a Let's talk about uh, our first impressions with the uh, Celeste and the artist. I know for me, you brought her uh, to my attention. I hadn't heard of her before. This is, uh, frankly, I, I guess I have to be honest here. This is not a genre I particularly go to. Um, Neo soul, uh, British soul, R and B. That's that's a genre I'm not um, very fluent in. Uh, I don't do a lot of. Uh, soul uh, albums and listening in my casual listening in my personal life it's not a genre i mesh a lot with i find it a little slow i find it a little one track at sometimes it's a uh, there's a lot of powerful singers out there um i think there's a lot of very talented singers out there so when you get an album like this i think the highlights are going to be your songwriting and your performance your emotional abilities to like perform I think there's going to be like the key things that I'm looking for when I go into an album like this to make it stand out amongst the crowd. Um, so my first impression, I did a light wiki read. I find out that she, you know, she's British or she was British transplant, I guess. 
and she's got that soul. She's working with an accomplished producer uh, who does most of uh, of the production on this album. And uh, I listened to a little bit of her, her vocals, uh, just kind of get what my taste. And she's a powerful vocalist. She has great range. She, she reminds, uh, I think there's a popular comparison. Uh, she reminds me of Amy, Amy Winehouse. Yeah, um, well, uh, pump the brakes for a second. Because sure. even though, um, and she's been compared to Amy Winehouse in her native UK. Um, however, uh, even though people say it as a compliment, I'm sure for her it must sort of be annoying to live in yeah. the shadow of Amy Winehouse's popularity. And also, <laughs> I think it's important to realize that uh, you know she's a she's a she's a, a black woman who's coming from a very who's steeped in the history of you know jazz musicians and uh black culture uh, black african-american culture in the united states and so when people when i read that comment about her being compared to amy winehouse it seemed to me like to be a little bit of whitewashing you know okay okay i, I didn't see it like that um but i could see where you're coming from this she has more influences than amy winehouse you know like uh, aretha franklin she has a lot of um powerful black women in history that she pulls from so to be more openly compared to something a little more contemporary like amy winehouse is a little um doesn't give her the full full context of her voice i think an easy reference for people who are more familiar with uh, the more recent uh amy winehouse and her work that to, for people to kind of get an idea um a little bit whitewashing maybe i just think it's more of a contemporary uh, analogy that people make for sure i mean i don't think uh anyone makes the comparison with sinister intent but mm. uh it's, it's sort of an unconscious form of whitewashing you know why not compare yeah. it to uh, uh leanne uh, Le leanne havas who's also uh uh r&b singer from the uk okay she really Big album uh, last year with the hit single "Bittersweet." Um, another topic I wanted to kind of get into before we get into the album itself, um, and this will be something that we're going to really touch on as we go through because it's a crucial part of this album. It's her voice, um, and since we're on the topic, kind of of these kind of comparisons um, and what's merit, how did you uh, how did you kind of feel about her voice? How did you find her like? You know her range and her the ability for her to perform and uh, reach your ears. Yeah, so um, she sings oftentimes in a bit of a higher register, I guess you could say. But she's also there's one specific song, a song like "Love Is Back," where the verse and the chorus have very different. Um, she goes between a lower register and a high register in her voice shows a great range in her singing mm -hmm. and then also the penultimate song on the record hear my voice she hits some of her most highest and soaring notes and is for me one of the most memorable tracks and really left me with um really left me with a a deep impression about her voice after the record was over uh, I think she also, uh, I think she's pretty measured. Uh, she doesn't mm -hmm. like, she obviously can hit those high ranges, but I think she, she, she generally sings in like a mid range. And she also does a lot of like that raspy, wistful, uh, low range that you would, you're going to hear in a lot of like those older black soul singers, uh, that she's obviously, uh, well versed in, uh, like the Nina Simones and whatever. Um, I find that to be kind of the highlight is when she goes into that r lower, wistful, uh, kind of like forced but like raspy um, range that she wishes sings. Uh, I think it really it's kind of haunting, and I think it's very very well done. Uh, in general, I think she's a great singer. I think that that's nothing can be really argued with that. I think I think that's a, a objective fact is she is a great great vocalist. And that will sell this album and a lot of these songs on that merit alone. Uh, just her, her singing is, is great. And in great range, uh, there's a lot of different places she takes 
her vocal skills on this album. Uh, so I think for a lot of people, that's that's uh, that's what they need for entry. You know, for me, I'm going to need some more songwriting. That's a bit compelling. Some interesting uh, songwriting in general, of terms of lyrics and songwriting in terms of actual uh, musically and how it's com- uh, composed. And for this to stand out uh, to me, because I I am, I can fully agree that she has great vocals, but again. You know, there's a lot of people out there with great vocals. What makes her different and what makes her stand out? And as we go through this album, I think I will comment on on how I feel she does with this. Yeah, to your point, uh, I think uh, you're right. She's uh, the sort of deeper tones. It makes her a very moody singer. And there are some very moody tracks on uh, on this album where that really where that really shines. Yeah, absolutely. So the first track the, uh, the album opens with uh, track "Ideal Woman." Um, how did you feel about the the kind of like the opener? You know, how was your first impression with this song? Okay, so my first impression with this song, uh, I thought the lyrics, contrary to what you were saying about the songwriting, uh, were great, and I found it to be the most some of the most compelling songwriting on the album. Yeah, uh, I'd like to clarify. I, I'm not saying from my previous statement that I thought her songwriting was bad. I just want to give a context for how I was approaching this album and how I went into this is I want to be wowed by the songwriting and I want the uh, performances to take me away. That's how this album is going to win me over as someone who's not generally uh, a soul listener, not generally a neo soul listener. You know, this is not a genre that, generally i i go to and i want to be clear about that as i go through this that i'm kind of looking at this album and this uh performer a little bit from the outside looking in you know this is not something i think would i would generally pick it off the shelf myself so uh, i just want to i just want to stress that as i go through that that's what i want uh when i'm going into an album like this i need good performances uh i need good songwriting and i need some compositional stuff to bite my teeth into, um, you know, some good chorus work, stuff like that, to really, for me, to take someone like me, who is not uh, well-versed in this genre of music, to get hooked and, and, and receive it with open arms. Not that I, and I, I, as, I, as we go through this, I'll reveal kind of how, how she did, I think. Uh, not that I think that she did bad. Off, off the front. That, that's not exactly what I meant with that comment. So I actually do agree with you. Ideal Woman, I, I did think this was a well-written song. Uh, I think it's very sparse. I like the strumming. It's very... Uh, the strumming did a lot of work in creating a tone. And I think mm. there's a lot of instances throughout this album where the instrumentation is sparse at times. Not Some other tracks we'll get to. Um, but the tone and the mood that the instrumentation creates to kind of uh, uplift the vocals is is pretty good on this track, and I think I really liked it. Uh, specifically, the strummed guitar I thought did a lot of work here. Yeah, I agree. The minimalist uh, the minimalist approach to instrumentation on "Ideal Woman" and it occurs again on the title track, "Not Your Muse." Mm-hmm. Really, yeah, places the focal point on her voice and plays into the sort of there's a there's a grim darkness to 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 this song in particular. I found mm-hmm. and it's sort of it's a song that criticizes every every guy who sort of yeah has placed a woman on some sort of pedestal and, you know, try to made her out to be something that she's not. Mm-hmm. And so just to read a couple of the lyrics, she sings, I may not be your ideal woman, the heaven in your head, the one that's going to save you from all your discontent. Please don't mistake me for somebody who cares. And uh, th- those are some pretty cold and icy lyrics, but uh, I think it, g- it gives a very, it sends a very important message. And 
speaks speaks from the perspective uh, of a woman that um, it's a voice that you don't you don't hear very often. There's a, there's something I came upon when uh, looking into this song is she talks about how she wanted to write her songs like a dialogue, uh, like a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And so this this is one of those songs that really exemplifies that for me. And there's a few others as well um, that it does feel like a conversation she's having or just a dialogue she's having with not just a man, but men that she's experienced in her life, you know, you know, uh, uh, similar to a song later, the title track, uh, not your muse, you know, she might not be the ideal woman, but she is who she is, you know, and not in that kind of like toxic way where like, I'll, I'll do whatever I want. You know, it's more like, you know, I am who I am. You know, I know I'm not perfect, but who is, I'm not your ideal woman, but you know, I am who I am and I, I have worth and I have value within that space. And I think that's a very powerful song to be starting off of and a great tone setter for who is Celeste as you continue to listen to this album. Yeah, I think a lot of more popular music today written by female singer-songwriters, it doesn't have such a mature tone, you know? And it can sometimes uh, be more vulgar Mm -hmm. and a little crass, whereas, like you said, there's a sort of, it almost seems like she's singing in in a dialogue. And she has a very critical voice about the, you know, unwanted responsibility that uh, man's, uh, you, you know, a partner's fantasies or expectations or imaginings of who someone is places on them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a beautifully written song. And I think that it also works really well as we get into the next song, Strange. Right. I think Strange might be the most powerful song on the album. And even though the entire time that she performs the song, she is very measured and she's in her like, you know, a little bit of the low registered. Uh, but this is probably the song that um, most people might be familiar with. I think this is probably her most popular song. Yeah. Uh, Content wise, it's about the evolution of relationships. You know, it's really relatable as love generally is to a lot of people. Uh, this conversation about how a stranger can turn into a friend, into a lover, and then back to a stranger again. You know, and she just kind of, you know, she croons a bit about hanging out. Isn't that strange? You know, it's got this lovely chorus on it. She's doing a great performance. This is a well-written song. This is probably the best well-rounded song on the album. I can see why the song that is really pushing her uh, into the, the limelight. Certainly the most heartbreaking song on the album. And uh, like you said, it's sort of about the fatal cycles of, uh, or the fatal revolution of, of relationships. I think it comes in stark contrast to Ideal Woman, where she has a very critical and dark tone. And then suddenly on this next track, she shows this vulnerability and sensitivity. And because of, yeah, because of the way the tracks are laid next to each other, side by side, I think it really emphasizes the the sensitivity on Strange and makes it a makes it powerful. Right, and this and more songs as we go through really kind of exemplify the complexity of a person. I don't think these are, uh, well, yes, they're contrasts, but I don't think they're like hypocritical contrasts. I think. This, these emotions and feelings can ex- exist inside uh, the one person very easily. Um, so I, I, I also uh, read up a little bit some comments about her writing this song. Uh, and she wrote this uh, during the L.A. wildfires. And <clears throat> also during that time, she went and visited the hospital that where she had last seen her father uh, before he had passed. And so I thought it was very interesting how she takes these... Um, these very heartbroken emotions and she takes it and puts it into a song that isn't about those topics. 
the song is not mm-hmm. about her father and it's not about the wild, LA wildfires, but she takes inspiration from the for her performance, you know, and, and her how she delivers the the lyrics of the song. The song is a love song, like we just noted, but the fact that she talks about those two things and how those things like inspired her to write the song, I think it's very interesting. The dynamic level of songwriting here is like she she's writing you know kind of the more poppy appealing love song but she takes these real emotions from these things uh inside of that and places it into that song so i think that's very interesting the way that she takes heartbreak and these emotions from other areas to uh really bloom her performance yeah that's a that's a really interesting point that i didn't know it draws from other experiences that are unrelated to the topic of the song that she's writing and uses those feelings to drive the drive the mood of her songwriting and her, and her vocal performance. That's really interesting. And considering this strange, you know, I don't want to psychoanalyze too much, but uh, a strange relationship she had with her father, it's interesting to yeah consider the song as being influenced by you know paternal love or the love between a father and his daughter and a daughter and her father i think uh, there's other songs here that we'll get to that are more focused specifically on that relationship Um, yeah but to take like even just a little nugget of that emotion and bring it to this song and to make it you know to bring it to the next level i think is a really talented and uh, mature approach to that and I, I really enjoyed reading that. I thought it gave me a lot of respect for her as a songwriter when I did when I came across that little nugget of information. Uh, the next song, but tonight tonight is it was I thought was a really great pacing because this is a song that's very different from the previous two. Uh, the production pr- uh, completely shifts. I thought it was very interesting actually in production how uh, how the drums will really change the song. Um, yeah. But as soon as these drums come in, it gives a purpose to the song, gives a direction, a mood. You know, she's got a great uh, vocal melody on the chorus. I really enjoyed the song. I think it really added a variety right after the second track, which was very uh, somberish and heartfelt. And the previous song, which was a little more cold, calculated, but still kind of within that same bubble of content, you know, of the feeling and performance, I guess. Uh, but this is the first one that really kind of like this is like, you know, movement. This is like groovy, you know. It's very catchy. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, as soon as this song comes on, uh, we've uh, we've arrived at the jazz pop area of the record, mm-hmm. and uh, which is quite obvious from, like you said, the tempo that's set by the by the jazzy drums and the horns in the background, compared with like a song like Strange, which uses you know, a morose violin and um, and piano keys. This is the song that I picture people listening to while, yeah, driving home from work uh, in London or something like that. You know, it's just this is classic top forty radio, but it's a it's right. a super catchy song, and it's an example of how you know pop music doesn't have to. It can have older influences. It can draw from people like Betty Davis or, yeah, like a Billie Holiday or Sly and the Family Stone. And it, even though it's a it's a pop song, it feels like a mainstream song. It doesn't feel commercial to me. Not uh, not in the very American trend at the moment. I would say this. It lives outside of that. No, but ironically, it draws from a uh, has a bunch of American influences. Yeah, I mean contemporary. Well, I guess you could you could mention contemporary American artists that she definitely uh, also inspired by. But I would say the landscape of modern contemporary uh, pop music is a little to the left of this. You know, so her influences are from uh, American jazz and soul musicians, musicians from the late '60s and '70s. Right. Right. Ends up sounding more American than American artists, for God's sakes. Right. This is. I made a comment here in my notes that I think goes throughout this album. 
and Khan comments a little bit of the pop nature of this is a lot of these songs came off to me a little workshopped, uh, a little too workshopped at sometimes. Like a little too clean. Production was a little too clean. Uh, not quite too well. Yes, that's I guess that's a part of it. But I mean more it, it clean, but it's also like expected. You know, I didn't hear anything instrumentally uh, that really experimented too much on this album. I, everything felt like it was in the block that it should be in. You know, there wasn't any left or right wing swerves here or there. A lot of it felt a little workshopped to me. A lot of people like this, a lot of people like that, a lot of people like this, you know, put that in there, put that in here, you know, a little more uh, mechanically put together of an album in terms of uh, how to sell it. I think it comes up a lot in this album. So this is the first time I felt like there was a little bit of a workshop nature to the songwriting of this album. I I don't know if I'd go so far as to you know say workshopped, but the one thing I would knock against the record, and it makes me wonder, you know, like is it necessary for a record to have a sort of progressive sound to try to musically have one step into the future in order to be a great record? You can be proud of the genre that you're in, you know. That's a little different yeah. than I think what I what I'm trying to say. To me, she's just operating within her genre. More of that comment of of how it feels a little workshop comes in the structure of the album, I think, and a little bit of the song topics, and a little bit of you know what she chooses to touch on and how the songs are built a bit, you know. Yes, within the genre, but even other singers within the genre kind of do a little bit more in an area. Uh, I feel like this is a little safe in terms of how everything's put together. Well, I mean, at the same time, uh, she is. She was only born in 1994. She's only 26. Mm-hmm. She, she has places to go. This is. I think this. Uh, some of my critiques of this album come from I feel like it being a little overproduced. Mm-hmm. And I think she's made a name for herself. You know, is a rising British star. You know, she's got a lot of eyes on her. I think that that kind of scenario where she's in, she's got to be nurtured uh, by people around her and by labels to present her to the, uh, to the audience of the world. And I think there are some choices that I think maybe not her choices and maybe not things that she would have done if left to her own devices uh, that I think you'll find a little bit on this album. Yeah, okay, so uh, we'll stop this flame. Again, another more fast-paced song. Uh, this time, uh, instead of the horns, we're getting a more energetic piano, which I really like. And uh, she starts hitting some higher registers during the course. Yeah, I, I noted that she's a little Adele on this. Uh, that's kind of the immediate sound that I got. I thought the production was good. I thought the, that piano that you mentioned comes out firing. And it sounds different than the other tracks so far, you know. So far, the pace of this uh, album is pretty good. Even even that comment I said about the little workshop, that's only a slight grievance at this point. You know, I think there's a lot of good pacing here. There's a lot of versatility. You know, she's showing herself, you know, as, as all the places that she can be. She's kind of flexing herself a little bit. I, I, I appreciate that, and I, I respect it. I think the chorus is a little weak on this one. Uh, the course, I like the vocal performance on the course. Uh, I don't sure. think it's the highlight of the track. I think the highlight of the track comes with the, with the introduction when it just kicks off with that sped up, uh, with the, those fast piano keys. Mm-hmm. And then we get this bridge, which, uh, everything's, uh, cu- get, cu- gets cut down to a very minimalistic sound. It becomes very still. And then to mark the ending of the bridge, they bring the song back to the introduction again and start with those same sped up fast piano keys. And I really thought it brought a great balance to the song and I thought it was really mixed, mixed really well. Uh, th- an interesting fact with this song as well is this is the first song that she wrote uh, working with Jamie, who was the uh, lead production on this, uh, on this album. So this is like the f- their first uh, track together. 
Uh, I do think right. there's a little bit of a growth, I think, uh, as the tracks go in terms of his ability to produce her. You know, I love the piano uh, instrumentals here. I just, you know, the, the chorus, you know, a little on the weak side, uh, a little underwritten, I think. But there's definitely, like, benefits, uh, like, pros to the song. Uh, like I said, she has great vocal performance. Those piano keys are really interesting. There's a lot to this track that's very positive, but this is one of those ones that I think it shows that this was the first uh, interaction between her and her producer, that it was a little... Um, they, they hadn't meshed quite as well as they have or will on some other tracks we'll go through here. I just thought this was a slightly... Like, it's probably the weakest track so far on the album, I thought. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Uh, I don't know. I find the track kind of catchy, to be honest with you. Sure. The chorus, even though, like you said, it's not... Uh, it's Especially when you have those strong lyric lyrics at the right at the beginning of the album and then you get a track like stop this flame which is yeah it's not it's it's not diving into any sort of uh, lyrical depths or anything but it's a fun song to listen to in my opinion it's catchy i could listen to the piano all day uh, it's a great song it's just the song has great energy uh, something i'd listen i'd like to listen to in the morning or maybe on my way to uh to go have uh, some pre-drinks with friends or something that piano is like very dancey piano you know yeah it's dancey, yeah. Uh, absolutely uh the next song something something i don't know so this song gets are we starting to travel towards more r&b vibes with this song mm-hmm. that's what i thought with the horns and with drums on this song it's getting we're starting to get um yeah starting to get more r&b vibes and introduction of the horns on this song really really places a a good emphasis absolutely um Mm -hmm. i thought that this was uh, another example of variety you know i was really scared going into this album of you know how is it going to be a little one note is it going to like really you pull from a lot of different places. Like, what's the uh, variety of this album going to be? And at this point, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm pretty happy with the her ability to go into all these different ranges and and do like a more R and B song on top of like these other dancey or poppy songs that she's done or more jazzy songs that she's doing. So she, you can tell that she's got these different influences that she's pulling from, and I'm it's happy to hear another song uh, with some more variety. Yeah, I really like the end of the song. There's like a, it's very r- rhapsodic between her voice and uh, and the horns. She sort of just uh, gives these great ly- um vocal performances. She's not even really singing any lyrics, and it just yeah it pairs so well with the horns. Uh, yeah, it just has a great R and B vibe. We're going to move into Not Your Muse, which is the title track, which is, again, another track I really liked. Uh, Not Your Muse is uh, a great vocal performance. Uh, back on the strum guitar, that was really nice. Uh, strange, the, like that strum guitar situation, obviously a little different. There's some harmony in the song that hadn't really been emphasized uh, until before, uh, before this. A bit of a subdued performance, uh, emotionally checked, great, some great reverb sounds swirling in the background that at some points kind of comes out a little shoegazy. Uh, I really liked it. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed the song. Uh, again, up until this point, up until track six here, uh, I'm really liking this album. This is a great album. Yeah, this is one of, another one of my favorite lyrical performances on the album and it sort of returns to the theme that she opens the album on with ideal woman and yeah the lyrics are very much about you know power and possession in relationships and so one of the lyrics goes decorate me adore me baby i need you to liberate me i'm not your muse And yeah, like you said, they sort of sparse, they, they take a more sparse musical approach. It's more minimalistic again, like the first song. And you said there's synths on the, on the, on the not track? Not like synths. There's like these, um, 
like these reverb sounds that sound like some sort of distorted instrument. I couldn't quite put my finger I, on it, but they you, swirls and kind of like kind of crackles near the end and then disappears. But it comes back and forth in this, this song once or twice. The way they mix the the violin and the guitar on this track, it might have been one of those. It creates that effect, right? And it has this sort of like. It, it it put me in the mind of like a sexy Prince song, and okay. it had these sort of um, like it was like a glistening rain is sort of mm -hmm. the image that came to mind. Right, right. This was a good track, and like uh, like I said, not many complaints about this. Uh, I remember, uh, I think it was one of the former weeks you you mentioned how you you listen to albums front to back in one sitting. And because that's how they're intended to be listened to, I believe was your phrasing. Did you listen to this album front to back? One listen. The first time I did, but I was reminded of something Tool said because they said that their records aren't supposed to be cut up and split up and butchered and be listened to on a yeah track by track basis. And then, however, I'm not sure if it was yeah Keenan or somebody else said. Yeah, but uh, somebody confronted us one day and said, "When you play live shows, do you play the whole albums from uh, back to uh, front to back?" And they were like, "No." <laughs> and so then they sort of <laughs> retracted on their initial position about their criticism on on Spotify. Right, right. But even uh, yeah, like an album that is as large as this, yeah, when you put it on, you're gonna you're gonna eventually pick your favorite tracks and then listen to it. I mean. Um, Album like Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. It's mm -hmm. a legendary album. It's a, it's a double LP, or maybe it's yeah, absolutely. You're gonna listen to that front to back every time you put it on. No, but you can, you know, you can listen to one side or the next side, and I think that's kind of how it was a little structured. I, I was curious about that because uh, I remember you saying that, and this is where my first listen ended. I stopped right here at. Uh, not you, me. This is my first listen. I was like pretty happy. I was, you know, I was like, this is this is really good stuff. This is, you know, I'm not generally a soul singer guy. It's not really the genre that that tickles my fancy enough. But I was really enjoying this. I, I thought there was great chorus work, great vocal work, uh, production. You know, wasn't experimental or anything. And that's not that I expected it to be. But it was versatile. And so I was really happy up to this point. And next time I, I came back and listened, I started on Beloved, and I was kind of eh. And then Love's Back, I was I liked I really like that song, actually. I think it's one of the best songs on the album. You know, it's got some simple satirical lyrics, kind of that way that you fall in love so quickly and then you get out of love and you're kinda of like, eh, you know, kinda of sappy, but all of a sudden you turn around and you're falling in love with someone else all over again. And she kinda of makes fun of that. Love is back. You know, you're you're back on the on the love train. Poking and prodding on like some of the foolishnesses that people go through when they're dating and, and finding someone to be with. So I, I thought this sounds great. I think uh, the chorus work is really great. Um, instrumentally, I think it's one of the song uh, Shiner tracks. The drums are back to give some mood and momentum. A lot of swelling brass that they've used on this, uh, on this album. There's a, a lot of little snippets of, of trumpets and descending piano that they put on all over the place. Like this is like one of the best compositional songs on the album i thought super highlight maybe my favorite song yeah i really like the music on this uh on this track too love is back it has uh this call and answer between the between the scratchy guitar and the horns and so it goes bop 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 and it's just it creates a it creates a great rhythm mm -hmm. and it's, yeah it's incredibly catchy and is uh really uh, one of the best moments where all the influences come together, like the pop, the jazz, and the soul. Mm -hmm. It's in a, a slower tempo. It's not uh, trying to. It's not trying to be dancey, anything like that. It's more. It's got more of a cool, subdued feel. Uh, and, maybe not trying to be dancey, but I still think it's a, a quite a danceable song. I thought it was very groovy. It's a great driving song. Uh, I was definitely moving around to this. I thought this was more the. Uh, I guess more the pop side, but not quite. Um, just in the terms of like, I thought the vocal melody was really good and the chorus work was good. 
and our singing was great. You know, it's a great written song. This is kind of like the peak of kind of what I was looking for out of this album, I think. Yeah, it's uh, like you said, one of the more one of the most groovier songs. Uh, yeah. One of the most groovier songs. It's after this track, I think it falls apart. Kiss is good. I thought Kiss was not that bad of a song, honestly. Uh, you know, it didn't really stand it that much. It felt like, you know, a lesser strange, you know, just didn't have quite the, the emotion attached to it like Strange did. But it's a slow tempo song. It's, it kind of exists there. The Promise kind of did the similar thing. And then again, uh, you get A Little Love, which is the Christmas advert song that was put on the album that I really just could have done with it entirely. Uh, not that it was like a terrible song, but this is the this felt like the most workshop thing on the album. It just felt like this is a song I wrote for a Christmas advert, and it sounds like it. You know, it just sounds like something you'd see playing as a Coca-Cola truck goes down the highway and a big fat Santa Claus is on the side of it and polar bears are rolling around. It just felt so such like a hollow song to me because of it. Uh, even though it's like great vocal performance and it's a very happy kind of fluffy song, it's not. There's not like a lot of substance here. Uh, this is where we get into uh, "Sing Goodbyes, Come with Hellos," and uh, I'll let you talk about this one. Yeah, this song. There's a couple of ballads on the on the record, and this is one of them. Like this is just an acoustic song. No, mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was a yeah. I I, I like the song sparse cut down again like some of the other tracks mm-hmm. from earlier in the album and um yeah it cut it cut my attention i liked it sure sure absolutely which i should say at this point since we're going into side b i think side a on its own a solid a minus b plus record even with yeah. some of the i i like a kiss you know I generally like that song. I think of the ones I was criticizing, I think that's probably the highlight of those. Um, I think there's a little bit of a, eh, like, kind of getting tired of the the whole uh, structure a little bit. I think they don't do a lot to versati- be versatile in the late tracks of the f- first side. But not a huge complaint. You know, there's still good songs. There's still great vocal performances, which I think is the core of what people are looking for when they listen to an album like this is the vocal performances. Yeah. And she does stellar yeah. on every one of these tracks, regardless of any complaint I might have of, of structure of the album and, and kind of like what songs that was chosen to put, be put on this album. I think she is consistently good on her vocal performance. So again, I think there's a little bit of getting lost in the mix uh, after Love Is Back. You know, there's not a lot of poppy yeah. songs here. A little slow, it's a little sparse. They kind of get lost, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, a certain level of monotony sets in. Right, but again, uh, once side B starts, you know, the second side, the second disc. Even though that's kind of a a dated thing to talk about, I think at this point with the the how music is delivered nowadays with Spotify. But this is side B, which is what makes it a deluxe track, and it starts off with a great song. Just wanted to note that while we do cover uh, Side B of the Deluxe album, um, ultimately in the end, I will be reviewing Side A, which is the standard edition. Uh, but we decided to cover a few songs on the Deluxe since that was the that was the prevalent uh, issue that was found on uh, streaming platforms. Uh, starts off with Father's Son. Uh, I think this is an interesting time because this is one of the ones that she most directly speaks about her father. Um, not in a very specific way. Like, she talks a lot of very vague kind of way about the situation. You know, there's not a lot of like, specific details about her and her father. Um, but she does indirectly talk about her and her father and, and, and in a way that's kind of like anyone talking about them and their absentee father. And when I say absentee father, I don't mean father who left them. I mean a father who isn't there for some reason. In her scenario, her father died of lung cancer when she was 16. So there's a, there's a lot of life that happens between 16 and 24, you know? And, and I'm not sure of how much uh, content uh, he is in her life because she is in Britain living with her, her mother, and he is wherever he, he lived at the time. 
So this is a very, I think that's important to comment on because um, while there's a very vagueness in the content of the lyrics, I think her performance and the instrumentation on the song does a lot to create a tone of yearning. Um, and having personal experience, I can kind of feel that yearning that's there. Um, it's not exactly outwardly dated, but this idea of this emotion that's hard to really uh, define, but it's like um, knowing, wanting answers, uh, questions answered, and not being able to get them answered, you know, conversations that you can't have with this person. Uh, it creates this space and this emotion that's hard to define, but she definitely creates it with her voice. Um, it's hard for me to describe exactly that emotion, but uh, the best I can say is it's a yearning. It yeah, um, I didn't like this song so much, even though I know it's perhaps the most overtly personal song on the record. Mm-hmm. But I thought the the topic of the song and how personal it was, and though it has a, a you know a sad. Uh, sad pia- piano keys. Mm-hmm. It didn't really didn't really live up to the dramatic weight. Of um, I, I did comment sure. that I thought she could have been more specific. Um, I think with topics like this, um, the vagueness of the, the lyrics kind of went against it. I get I get what the uh, the idea is. You know, you want more relatability. So you become a little more, you, you write more vague, you know, in ideas mm-hmm. and concepts. I think this is a song I would have enjoyed her be more specific, you know, brought it more of herself and him in that context and, and been more literal about it. You know, I think that would have created what you're speaking about here, a more emotional tone that uh, that was a little bit of a critique I had, but I generally enjoy the the tone that she did create yeah i mean with these types of songs you have to be careful not to you know become metal melodramatic and Mm -hmm. sort of oversensitive and i don't know if that's what that's why she's sort of seems like she's holding back a bit for me and it just it didn't the the song didn't carry very much weight or impact uh, just with the musical ideas the vocal performance and uh, it didn't even capture me enough to even though I knew it was her most personal overtly personal song it didn't capture me enough to want to bother to read the lyrics like I did with the other songs. Okay, okay, I I I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit here. I thought this was one of her better tracks. Uh, I guess again. Uh, my personal experience is a little different. And so this is more of a spoken to me a little bit more. Uh, and then some other people may st- may help to stand it a little bit. I might be a little biased in that, in that, uh, that realm, but I enjoyed like, I guess it was piano. I thought it might've been organ uh, that's on this, on this track. I thought it was pretty distant and kind of in the background. And it, it did a lot for the mood and the tone that she was going for. I did think that the snare uh, was a little loud on this track. Um, mm-hmm. but didn't distract me too much. I, I enjoyed the lyrics here. Um, you know, she talks about, you know, it, uh, could there be two of us? Could there be two of us, you know, um, about her father and herself or a father and their child and their, how their traits and how relatable they are, you know, things that like, even though they're not there to, uh, give those traits to you directly, you know, there, there's things in your, in your genetics that, you end up being like them in certain ways um, regardless. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of what she's speaking to a little bit here. Um, Maybe I'm lonely. Maybe you're lost. Maybe I'm an echo and maybe you're a ghost. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of good content here. I think she's a little vague. I would have liked to see her speak a bit more specifically about her. Uh, I think that would have added more to the emotional delivery that she, she gives here. Or, or in the content. Again, snare, a little loud, not too bad. Um, that's a little mixing. Uh, I thought this was a highlight track. I, I, I thought this was a great way to start side B, and I, I could have generally watched or heard more of this. 
Yeah, and to her to her credit, I think sometimes when people are speaking about things that are so incredibly personal, sometimes they'll they'll veil what they say and and metaphors, and so it can become a little bit vague in comparison to say a track like "Not Your Muse," which is very direct. So yeah, the uh, the next song uh, after "Father Son" is "Lately," uh, which had a feature from Got Street Park. Uh, I know you. I uh, did a little research on them. What can you tell me about them? Uh, they're sort of one of the bigger up-and-coming producers now in uh, in the UK, more or less. Is this an uh, individual person or a group? I think it's a collective. Okay. But uh, just looking at the producer track listing, they produced from Love Is Back to The Promise on side A. And then, uh, yeah, they already released... Lately, and both sides of the moon on the compilation 1.1 that was released in 2019. And uh, of the two of the two tracks or two features on side B, I like lately the best. I think it has the best sort of R and B groove. Uh, it has uh, the guitar has a a great funky clang. Sort of, sort of, almost like a a wah wah effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there, there's like a, a wobbling strings to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like how this song ends in relation to some of the earlier tracks on the album from side A. The her voice has a very almost heavenly sound, mm-hmm. and then uh, with the with the guitar and the and the keys. Uh, just makes a great pair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed again. Vocal performance was uh, good here. I thought I could have done a little work on the vocal melody in the chorus. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of it. It's a deeper cut. There's no doubt about it. But uh, it's sort of the song I can picture listening to. You know, driving through the city late at night. Maybe a light rain falling. You can see the neon lights shining through the raindrops on the window. Right, you know, there's a the the image of someone uh, in a beautiful dress standing on a stage with a backing band at a very fancy restaurant that everyone looks up and sees sees her as she starts singing and everyone falls in love with her. That's kind of the image this whole album gives me. I think um, mm-hmm. she's she's definitely like a very classy singer and a very uh, great performer. Uh, I think she she definitely does a lot to stand out. Yeah, to that point, and we brought up Amy Winehouse earlier, and and I just went back last night and checked out a couple of her songs, and she has one song. It's called "Fuck Me Pumps," and yeah, Celeste doesn't have any sort of "Fuck Me Pump" songs on this record. It's a no, little bit she's a little more classy, you know. Yeah, there's no uh, that crassness is not on on, on this album. Next song, uh, I actually enjoyed, well, it's not the next song, but there's a few songs. The Strange, there's another version of Strange that's on here, on scene. Uh, but the next song that I actually enjoyed uh, was In the Summer of My Life. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, love songs on the on the album, which, you know, it's not it's part for the course uh, for what this is. Uh, but this one isn't. This one is more uh, reminiscent about her teenage years and, kind of looking back at that individual that she was and has this nice uh, chorus work here. It's very unique. I like her delivery. It's not like super grand, but it's like very like captivating still. And, and this is another one of those songs I think speaks to her earlier comment that I mentioned about her, this being a dialogue or a conversation. And I feel like this one comes off again like that. Yeah, this song is uh, the she sings in a, a high register throughout the throughout the entire song, mm-hmm. and it's it's one of the more graceful songs I found on the record. It's a ballad that I draw comparisons to some goodbyes come with hellos. It's okay. mostly an acoustic track, and it's yeah, it's this bitter it's a bittersweet song that has a nostalgia for yeah for the past. And I love how she takes the metaphor of, of the summer. There's this great movie by a French director called Agnes Varda called Bonheur, which is French for happiness. Okay. And it takes place during the summertime. And Agnes Varda described 
the movie to have that sort of melancholic feeling of summer fading away, you know, like those last brief days of summer. Mm-hmm. And I, it gave me a similar feeling when I listened to this song. Right, right. Yeah, there's definitely that uh, kind of yearning there as well. How did you feel? We c- talked about this a little bit earlier, yeah. the duet with uh, John Batiste. Uh, how did you feel about the song? Uh, like I said, I think it's a, I think it's a great song. Yeah, like I said, it features as the end credits on the movie Soul. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reason I wanted to bring up the song, besides the fact that it's good, and it's there's another duet on the album somewhere, I think Unseen. But mm-hmm. uh, this I prefer, I prefer this duet. Also noted that uh, I enjoy this duet more than the other one that had uh, appeared on the album. I thought yeah. his voice complimented her better. Yeah, and he's playing the piano, and uh, yeah, he's he's uh, he he does like pop up uh, performances on the streets of Manhattan and in Brooklyn, and uh, he works. Uh, he's I think the lead musician for one of the late night show bands, and he's putting together a musical I think for black artist from New York who was popular during. The late seventies, early eighties, called Jean Michel Basquet, and he was very famous for his street, for his uh, street graffiti, and then also he's since then had his work hung up in famous museums and had his work sell for yeah incredibly crazy prices. Yeah, I just wanted to bring some attention to Jean Patiste, his work and um, yeah, Jean-Michel Basquet. And uh, it's great to see Celeste be, uh, be able to work, work with uh, Jean Patiste and for him to use his platform to help launch her career. Yeah, absolutely. Instrumentally, uh, there's a flowing piano on this, on this track that I was, I was in love with. Uh, I thought it was a very charming song. Yeah. It, it, it's like substance of content of lyrics. It's kind of still, it's part of the course. Um, but I thought a lot of the uh, personality in having a duet, how it was structured, how they went back and forth, requires some highlight. Um, and this is one of them. I think uh, this is a, a great song. Uh, great performances by both artists. Uh, again, uh, as you said, you should definitely go your way to listen to some of uh, Jean-Baptiste and some of his stuff. The next song, that we wanted to talk about was Hear My Voice, uh, which is a protest uh, song or a protest sounding song for a movie. Yeah, I was not aware that it featured a, on a movie. What's the name of the movie? From the Trial of Chicago 7. It's a Netflix mm-hmm. film. Uh-huh. I don't have Netflix, so that explains why I never heard of the movie. Right. Yeah, what did you think of the vocal performance on the track? Good. Uh, she definitely goes into this like range that she hasn't really gone into very much on this album. Definitely like some highs there. The, it's got that like protest, you know, hurrah kind of performance that you want. That was pleasant, but I was kind of a little irked by the context of the song to really give it the full attention it probably deserved. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, for me... Uh... Probably the strongest vocal performance on the track. The standalone vocal performance uh, on the album, sorry. So the strongest standalone vocal performance. And like you said, it has a very powerful soaring vocals that you would want to have from a protest song that's supposed to you know, rally people together and inspire feelings of courage and strength. And that really comes through in her voice. It's sort of, you know, the lyrics of the song play into the strength of her vocal performance so well, you know, hear my voice. Absolutely. So we'll uh, come to a close there, our more in-depth track review. Um, How did you feel about the album coming out of this? Yeah, even whether or not we're talking about just the International Standard Edition, so the first 12 tracks, side one. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, deluxe edition. The conclusion of the album sort of just sort of fizzles out for me. It doesn't. There's no. There's no hook. There's no. She doesn't really. The, the tracks don't really seal the album for me altogether. And 
whether that be musically and sort of coalescing the, all the ideas or just, yeah, a track that concludes the album or in a, a track that sort of summarizes the ideas on the album as a as a conclude as a conclusion to the album it just sort of it has it, it dies down in energy but that that's all it does and so the ending was a little yeah it was lukewarm it was it didn't have an impact on me very good very good um as a whole um I will, you can give your review in any shape that you'd like in terms of, you know, as a whole, as a deluxe edition or as the uh, concise uh, side A, if you'd like, or both if you'd like. Uh, But how would you rate this album? I think, uh, you know, I really like this record from top to bottom, whether it was the international deluxe edition that we listened to, even though, yeah, like it can certainly be fatiguing because it's an hour and 20 minutes and um to your point there are a lot of tracks that are added from other projects uh but most of them all most of them all appear on the second side nonetheless i think she has got a fantastic voice she's one of the most talented uh female songwriters that i've heard in quite some time and I love how she's really sort of perfected the sa- her sound within her genre. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, there are number numerous tracks on this on this record that I'll return to again. And I'm gonna give it a nine. Okay, very good. Um, uh, as a standalone side A, which is how I would prefer people to listen to this album i would suggest them just listen to the first side uh it's a solid eight for me again uh, trying to be as objective as possible even though it's not generally the uh, genre music that i would go to on my own i think this is uh, undeniably at least a solid uh, eight i really think you only need to go into side b if you know you're looking for a little something extra do not recommend the deluxe edition to initial listeners. I don't think there's that much on there that's really adds to the package. If anything, it dilutes the overall uh, conciseness and uh, personality of the first side. It's really just kind of a hodgepodge of songs that existed a few years back or maybe a few new ones here that didn't quite make the, the main album. I really, if I was the, as a whole, it's like, a seven or a six, if you, I'm including the B side, because I really did not like that B side in terms of our cohesiveness. But I will, uh, generally speaking, rate this based on side A. Eight for me. Recommend absolutely uh, that first side to people. Uh, people who are, again, fans of a soul, a neo soul, and jazz would definitely appreciate this. People looking for strong female vocals, people who are very vocal heavy in their listening. Uh, you'll find a lot of this album. Certainly, really enjoy it. I think it's a, a great debut effort. Curious to see how her career evolves from here because she's really being positioned uh, in such a way that they definitely see her skyrocketing into becoming a huge star. So, be curious to see what becomes of her and her career over the next few years. She's still young, 26, maybe 24. I, I can't quite remember. So, you know, she's got a, a wide range future ahead of her and a lot of albums to come, and I'm uh, curious to see how they come. Yeah, if you're, uh, if you're a fan of Lorne Hill, if you're yeah, a fan of yeah, Curtis Mayfield, uh, Betty Davis earlier, Billie Holiday's, Nina Simone's, there's mm-hmm. definitely going to be something for you on this, uh, on this record. All right. Well, I'll see you, I'll see you next week, uh, Zach, when I... Uh, uh, force you to listen to an album. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, looking forward to it.